So on this Labor Day weekend, we are gathering to continue, gathering to continue, that's a weird phrase, you know what I mean. We're coming together and we're going to continue our series in the first four books of John, first four chapters of John. Oh man, I'm in trouble already. Books and chapters, I'm getting, you might have to come up, honey, and if I keep getting words mixed up. You're good? <laughs> Thanks, sweetheart. Appreciate it. <laughs> the first four chapters of John focuses on Jesus' impact that he had when he came to the earth and the impact that he still has in our lives. And that's, and that's kind of what we've been talking about. And today, uh, we're going to continue the second half of chapter four of John. Now, we're going to have some of the verses available on the screen, uh, but we encourage you to follow along in your Bible. If you don't have one, a pew in front of the pew, no, seats now, seats in front of you. You don't have a Bible, feel free to keep it. Turn to the middle, head to the right, until you come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now last week, we saw a conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. And this woman that he meets, this Samaritan woman, he asks her for a drink of water. And he uses it as an illustration that just like every single one of us get physically thirsty, we all get spiritually thirsty. We're all thirsty for meaning, for purpose, for identity, for love. We feel this need as soon as we are children, middle school to high school, and through the rest of our lives. And we talked about how only God can satisfy this thirst if we are willing to look to him. Now that brings us to today's portion of their conversation, where it's going to continue here in verse 16. And, and what's going to happen is after Jesus kind of revealed this living water that he talked about to this woman, he's going to give her an instruction. And we'll pick this up. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, which he was referring to himself. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes... He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. So in the middle of this conversation, Jesus says, hey, can you go get your husband for me? And she's like, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. <laughs> You've had five. And apparently you're working on number six because the guy that you're with now, you're not married to. Shots fired. And I'm sure this take, took her off guard because she thought she was just speaking to a Jewish man. And, we, and I, I don't really know why Jesus pointed this out, 
I mean, maybe he was pointed out to say, look, you are trying to fulfill the spiritual thirst in men instead of God. Maybe he was just trying to say, look, I want you to know who you're speaking to is not any ordinary Jewish man. And certainly it got her attention because she's like, obviously you're a prophet because you're all up in my business. And then she makes this statement about worship, like she changes the subject. I don't know if it's because she just wants to get off her own personal life. I would. Or if she wants to get a little more understanding of who she's talking to. And, and she talks about this disagreement that there was about the proper place to worship. And it's almost like it's an inquisitive statement, like she's seeing where he stands on the topic. Verse 20, he, he sa- she says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now, I'm not going to go into detail on this uh, disagreement, but basically the Samaritan people and the Jewish people, common ancestry, but they disagreed on the proper place to worship. And that was a big deal, huge deal back then, a huge deal, because where you worshiped made all the difference. Now, what is worship? We Worship is this word that we use all the time. We come to worship. We say we're going to go worship and sing. Do we often think about what it means? I like to say that worship is a display of adoration and reverence for God. It's a display of adoration and reverence for God, in deed and in word. It's to give God glory for who he is and what he has done. And worship is commanded by God. Commanded by God. This is why they didn't disagree over the importance of worship because they both agreed God commanded this. Matthew 4.10 says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. First Chronicles 16.29, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. I mean, and just think, I mean, what are the, the, the first ten commandments? What's the very first one? You will not have any other gods before me. God demands worship of us. It's not a suggestion. It's not a request. It's not an idea. He's running by us. It is a command. God commands our worship. Now, some people struggle with this. I remember talking to people over in the Pacific Northwest who who thought this command, this demand, reflect poorly on God, like he had an ego problem. Like what kind of all-loving God would demand your worship? Bow before me. I mean, think to yourself, how would you answer this concern? I think there's many reasons, but there's just two I want to highlight, actually three. First, worship is important because it reminds you of your source. It reminds you of your foundation. I mean, is it vain for a father to want his son to call him father, to know who he is? The same question goes for a mother. Is it vain for a mother to want her children to call her mom or mother to know who she is? No, because it's the right relationship. That is her role. That is his role, mother and father. They are the ones designed and appointed to guide these children, to provide for these children. God is the creator, nobody else. He is the one who's designed us and knows what is best for us. He's the only one who can provide for us and for guide us. 
I mean, what would be the alternative for God not to demand our worship and to allow us to chase after things that he knows that will never satisfy us? Just like we talked about last week. I mean, the list is, is, is incredibly long of things that people have chosen to worship as they've chosen to stick higher and more important than anything else. Be money, keep promotions and, and work. It could be popularity. It could be seen well by others. To be physically fit, to, uh, you know, to look a certain way. There, there's, there, I've even met people where they, they've made their family their idol. But God knows that anything outside of him cannot sustain us. Everything else can be taken away but God. Every other source can dry up but God. There's this one lady I remember she's saying, she said something to this. She goes, the more I learned about God, the bigger God appeared to me. And then the bigger God appeared to me, the smaller my problems appeared because I know that God can take care of any of them. See, when we worship God, we're reminded of this. And, and, and it changes how things affect us in our life. It would be like a, a millionaire walking down the street and somebody picks his pocket of the money that he has, but he knows that he still has millions back at home. It doesn't affect him the same. We worship God because it reminds us that he is our source. It gives us great courage in our lives to take on any struggles, any battles, either internal or external. I think of Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is getting stoned for his faith. He's literally about to stone him to death. They're literally about to pick up big rocks, throw them until he's dead. And they say, hey, do you got any final words? And he looks up and he goes, I see the God. God the Father seated on the throne and his son standing at his right hand. Gave him incredible courage because his source, his strength was greater. When we worship, we remember that. When we don't worship, we forget that. One reason God demands our worship. Another reason that we worship is because we become what we worship. We become what we worship without even realizing it. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with an unveiled face, behold the glory of God, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. Whatever we hold in our lives is the highest goal. Whatever we hold is most important. We become like that. It starts when we're young. I remember when I was in, I was, I'm ashamed to share this, but I'm going to share it anyway. When we were in high school, this horrible television, teen soap opera came out called Beverly Hills 90210. You guys remember this? Well, if you guys remember this, and don't, if you have never watched it, go watch it. It's, it's horrible. It's crud. Anyway, at the time, Luke Perry was on the show, you know, Mr. Teen Heartthrob, and he was so cool. Like, he was just cool. And the girls would talk about him. So I remember, like, one day I decided I'm going to be like Luke Perry for a couple days. And so I just tried to be cool like Luke Perry. I failed miserably. But I tried. And my friends made fun of me for it. 
But we do this. We, we, want, we get these idols in our lives, and we put posters on our walls as kids, and we want to try to become like them. But even as we get older, we do the same thing. We put things in our lives, and we, we become what we're trying to worship. If we, if we want more money, we become obsessed with money, focused on money. It's what guides our lives. If we want to be attractive, if we have young ladies who want to be attractive to men, well, we start shaping what we wear and how we act so we can, we can get that, we can achieve that. And the list goes on for the things that we go after, that we worship. Even those who, we, we, we put self-reliance and we worship self-reliance. And so we never ask for help. And we pride ourselves on how well we can do things. And we look at other people as weaker and as we are stronger. We gauge people by how hard we work versus how hard they work. We become with whatever we worship. There's this famous book called The Source. It came out a long time ago. And it tells of a man named Yur Bald who lived in 2200 B.C. And it says, your ball, he worshipped two gods. The god of death and the god of, goddess of fertility. And this was common to do in that time. And he was out plowing his fields one day, and the temple priest came to him and said, listen, you need to sacrifice your son so that your crops will grow. This was a common practice. This is like common things back then. And so on the appointed day, he, he brought his, his boy and he brought his wife and he offered his son to the priests. And as they put his son on the altar, they plunged a knife into him. And then they set him on fire. Once again, things that were common. To appease the God so that he could have good crops. Now the priest announced to him, and after this, to all the other men who brought their children, that one of them will be chosen by the gods to spend a week in the new temple with one of the prostitutes. Which was another way that was common to worship the goddess of fertility. So Yur's wife looked at her husband as he saw this intense passion come over him that she had not seen before. And just as luck would have it, his name was called. And he lunged forward and ran off to the temple. So the author writes, he says, picture the scene. The woman leaves the temple alone, not with her son, for her son has been killed. Not with her husband, for he's in the temple. And she says something so profound. She says that if he had different gods, he would have been a different man. What a profound truth that is. We are like, we become whatever gods we worship. You know people in your lives. They're like, man, if they just had a different God in their life, a different highest thing that they held to, they would be a different person. The truth goes the same for you and for me. So I ask you this morning, what are you becoming like what are you becoming like at your school or at your job, in your home, in your neighborhood? Are you becoming like God or something else?
Whatever you're becoming like, it is what you worship. May the Lord reveal to all of us if we're worshiping anything but him. Amen, church? Finally, and just quickly, a third reason for worshiping God is when we worship God, it points people to him. They want to see what's going on in our life when we worship him properly. Like, hey, what are you doing? Why do you believe this? What are you doing? And it brings people to him. And if it's true what Jesus says, that he is the only hope for the world, then it would only make sense for him to demand our worship if it is going to bring that hope to the world to other people. So be clear, when God demands our worship, his worship, our worship it's not because he needs it, it's because we need it. We need it. Now, in ancient times, this was not a question for the Jews or Samaritans. Like I said, they understood their need to worship God. The problem is they disagreed on where they should worship God. And so the Samaritan woman brings this up. And then Jesus replies about where is the proper place to worship. He says in verse 23, he says, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in, anybody? Truth. Truth. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying that the condition of our heart when we worship is more important than the placement of our feet. This was a struggle for the Jews and for the Samaritans, that they were both focused in their own way on external factors that they missed that true worship comes from the heart. It comes from our spirit, as Jesus puts it. In fact, Jesus chews some people out for this. Matthew 15, 8, he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their what? Their hearts are far from me. All throughout scripture, you see that God is concerned with the condition of our heart. In fact, a Puritan named Stephen Charnock, he said this, without the heart, it's not worship." It's a stage play. An actor acting a part without being that person really. A hypocrite. He said, we may, truly be said we, we may truly be said to worship God, even though we lack perfection, but we cannot be said to worship him if we lack sincerity. That means that worship is about the condition and reflection of what is going in our heart. We often pray in the back. We say, Lord, let us not sing with just our lips, but with our hearts. And this means that worship can happen anywhere. It can happen in the middle of a, a church building. It can happen in the dump. It can be anywhere. Let me ask yourself, where do you find yourself worshiping God outside of Sunday morning? Where do you find acts of worship in your life taking place? Can you think of anywhere else that this happens in your life? Where you're aware of his greatness and you want to give him glory outside of Sunday morning. Now this does not mean that when we come together it's not important. The Bible talks about the importance of, of us coming together. But when we come together and, and the things that we do here, the, 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 the beautiful instruments and, and, the, and the vocals they're signposts. They're helping 
point us to worshiping God. They, they should never become crutches to worship God. I mean, how many times have you walked out of a service and you're like, oh, Holy Spirit was just flowing today, just moving. And all you really mean is you liked the music. You liked the songs that they played. Or you walk out and you're like, oh, I just didn't do it for me today. Why? Because they played the songs you didn't like. And you can even stretch this out farther. Think of the holy sites like uh, in Jerusalem, right? Now, once will get me wrong. I, don't, I love the idea. I want to go to Jerusalem one day. Hope I get to go. But as humanity, we come to depend on places like this, whether it's churches or, or, or holy sites like Jerusalem, to feel close to God. And when we need places to feel close to God, we are making God much smaller than he is. Remember uh, Calvary Chapel pastor Skip Heitzberg. He's in uh, California. He, he was talking once how he went to, uh, as a, a teen, he went to Jerusalem and he was working some farms there. He said that one day he got to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and he found a rock. And he's like, maybe this is the rock where Jesus prayed, right here. He said, like, he was like, he looked for like blood stains and stuff like this. Could this be Jesus? And he sat on the rock and he said, God, speak to me. And then he said, a dove came down and landed on his shoulder. No, I'm kidding. He didn't happen. He said, so what, he, what he said happened is I kept asking for God to move and to speak, and he said it was like nothing. 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 So eventually he went home. And he said at that time he lived in Santa Ana, and he said he lived in this little tiny dump of an apartment. And one day he was sitting in his chair, and he had the Bible open, and he said there was this epiphany of a moment he had where the Scripture just popped out to him, grabbed a hold of his heart. He said he felt the power of God so wonderfully in that moment as God, a new truth just unlocked something in his heart. He said it wasn't, it wasn't in the Holy Land. He said it was at my rickety table in a cheap apartment. When we have a proper relationship with God, a proper view of God. Worship can take place anywhere. I'm sure some of you have had those moments. You've been in an unlikely place, and boom, God moved in your life, and, and then you stopped, and you, you were giving him thanks for something in that moment, or you, you were praying for him. Uh, <clears throat> you started praying for somebody, or, or you were obedient to God, or you opened up Scripture, or something like this. You know, It, it can happen anywhere. I mean, literally, all we need for worship is the reality of Jesus Christ. He is the location where worship happens. That's why Jesus said, like, the hour is coming and come. He's like, I'm here, right? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit that when you put your faith and trust in Christ, God is with you and a part of you at all times. He's not a doctor that you, like, make an appointment with and you go see him. He is with you at all times. Every moment of your life can be a moment of worship. And I, and I want to say this for religious symbols as well. Because we, we live in an area that gets really tied up with religious symbols. 
You, you go into places that are called houses of worship and you'll find people lighting candles and putting candles in front of them and, and, and they're bowing down and, 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 and they're kissing images or, or, you know, or, or they're holding relics and praying as if it, it gives them something special. Or I remember when I was growing up, angels became a big thing. You had angels everywhere in your house, angel pillows, angel blankets, angel, you know, angel pictures, angel figurines, angel toilet paper. It was everywhere. Like you just, and it was just like protection. It's not worship. I mean, I've asked somebody before, I'm like, well, I'm like, why do you have those images? Why are they so important to you? I remember what someone said, like, well, they remind us of God. And I thought of it like this way. I said, like, suppose a woman walks into a room and finds her husband embracing another woman. And she gets angry. And the husband replies, sweetheart, settle down. I'm only embracing her because she reminds me of you. Right? The next moment he's laying on the floor unconscious. Right? <laughs> Listen, there is no image. God is spirit. He doesn't put a picture of himself in the Bible. There is no image that we should lock and tie ourselves to as if it brings us closer to the Lord. No image. Sometimes I even get a little like, uh, with the idea of the cross. Now the cross has great symbolism because he died and rose again. But in reality, if we're really gonna have a symbol up, we should have the grave because if he didn't raise again from the dead, what he did on the cross doesn't matter, right? Now, am I saying it's wrong to have crosses? No, if it's a tool to share your Christ with somebody else or it can be a reminder of what God did for you, great. But if it becomes a crutch to be able to worship him, we've missed the boat, So this is what it means when he's talking about we need to worship in the spirit. There's a connection to God, a, a understanding, a desire to adorn him with praise, to give him glory in every area of our life. Whether we're folding laundry, preaching the word, singing, whatever it may be doing. And it comes from in here and a recognition of what he's done for us not out of religious, repetitive tradition. Now, the thing is, Jesus says, I want you to worship in the Spirit, but he also adds that other word. What's the other word he adds? That's right, truth. He adds truth. You can't worship God without both. And to worship God in truth, it means to understand who God is. And to understand how we come to him. And this was a problem that Jesus pointed out to the Samaritan woman. Verses, verse 22, it says, you worship what you don't know. Now, here's what he means. The Jews paid attention to the entire Old Testament, all the way from Genesis to Malachi, right? The historical books, uh, the poetry, the prophets, all of it. The Samaritans, they only paid attention to the Pentateuch which is the first five books of the Bible. That was it. And so Jesus is like, look, you, you camped out in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, but God's been doing a lot more since then. And you've ignored it. 
You've ignored the history and the, the Psalms and the prophets. And there are many people today that do the same thing. They're missing out on the truth, full truth of who God is. And it's like, I feel like today, maybe it's always been this way, but I feel like people just don't even care. Like, they, they, when I think of God, I think of this. Or when I think of God, I think of that. But we don't have the right to determine who God is. God determines who he is, and it is our job to understand and to look at his revelation and to worship him for it in totality, not just the parts we like. It's our responsibility to open the Bible and to study it, to memorize it, to digest it, to make it a very real part of our lives. I used to grow up, because I grew up Pentecostal, I always thought worship was just singing. Like, that's what you did. No. Every act in our lives that brings glory to God is an act of worship. When you read your Bible, you are worshiping God. When you come to a Bible study, you are worshiping God. When you listen to a sermon, you are worshiping God. Because you're giving him glory of saying, my time and my effort, I want to direct it to the most holy God. I want to sacrifice anything else that I would deem important because he is greater. One of the most dangerous things in the world, and it is rampant today, is a one-sided religion of where we pick and choose what kind of God we want and we disregard the rest. It is rampant left, right, up, down right now. And it all comes down to the single fact that either by apathy or by choice, people will not pick up their Bibles and read who God is for themselves. They'll find the kind of preacher they like, who tells them what they like, and then they're good. That's not worshiping God in truth. The thing I've learned in my life, and I know it's the same for some of you because I've talked to you about this, that the more I learn about God, the more I want to worship him. It's like a chain reaction. Anybody else ever experienced that in your lives? I'll tell you right, I've never met somebody once who was excited about the true living God in his totality who were also not reading their Bible or not going to a Bible study or who were not um, uh, making church a priority. They're like, man, they'll come to me and they're like, I read this. Did you know this was in here? I'm like, well, yeah, most of the times I do. Not always. But they're so excited about what they learn. And then they'll tell me like, man, since I read this, this is how I've been reacting to this situation and this situation. And you'll see the joy and the excitement and the peace. And it comes from understanding who God is. But at the same time, and this has happened to me, I've noticed times in my life where I'm not reading this as much as I should. And I start to forget who God is in the way that I react to things and think about can't worship God unless you worship him in truth. And I'll tell you right now, if you're like sitting here today and you're like, man, I, I, uh, you don't get this, you don't feel this. Now, and partly it might be just because you're still trying to figure out who God is. Well, I, that's a good way to do it right here. But for the rest of you, it might just because you've forgotten who he is. You've forgotten who he is. You've stopped looking. You know, sometimes I have people, when it comes to worship, they're like, they're like, 
Why are we singing so many songs? Why are we singing so many songs? Can we stop singing so many songs? Well, first of all, no, no, we can't. But I found that people who can't worship, they can't sing to God, they get bored. It's because the truth of God hasn't infiltrated their spirit. I think of it like this. You ever been in line and you really got somewhere you got to be and you're like, this line, even though it's been like five seconds, it feels like 10 years, you're like, nobody's moving, right? You're doing this whole thing like, what's going on? You're tapping your foot. You're like, what's the deal? You're looking at every other line you didn't choose and how they're all moving and everybody's like, hey, yours is standing still and you just went like, ah, right? Now imagine you're standing in that line and you tap the person in front of you like, do you know what's taking it so long? And it's a famous celebrity, whatever celebrity you want it to be, right? You're shocked. You're like, hey, you know what? I really like your work. I like when you did this and this. And they're like, thank you. And then, and, then they, and then they ask you, they're like, hey, what's your name? What do you do? And you start this conversation. Well, things change then, don't they? You're not going like, you're like, you don't want the line to move. You are stuck in that moment. You hope the line never moves because it doesn't want to end. Now, what has changed? Speed of line hasn't changed. Your desire, what is important to you, has changed. And I tell you right now, the more that you come to understand the living God in your life, your heart changes. I used to be, when I was young, first a Christian, be like, why are we singing so many songs? But now, after I've spent years under God's grace and his mercy and his never-ending patience with me, man, I would love to just go all day. I could just, just stand here and sing and pray. And I know for some of you it's the same because you're worshiping God in spirit and in truth. That's what a true worshiper is. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 12, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, with all totality. And so this is my desire for every one of you this week. One, to recognize your inability to worship God without his help. I don't have time to go into it, but even reading scripture, we don't even recognize our need for God without the power of his Holy Spirit. And so we need his strength and his spirit to even worship him properly. So I pray, and I'm going to do this in a moment, that you will ask us, Lord, help me to be someone who worships in spirit and in truth. That'll be your prayer. Every day, I pray the Lord will bring it to your mind, and then you'll pray for it. And then I want you to ask the Lord to help you recognize his presence in all areas of your life. I, want, I pray that this week that there'll be at least one place where you never thought to worship God, that new revelations of who he is will happen in that place and you'll worship him in a new spot. And your mind and your life and your heart will get expanded to how literally the earth is God's sanctuary and you can worship him anywhere. That you're gonna pray in a place you've never prayed before you're going to sing to him in a place you've never sung before. You're going to give him thanks and appreciation in places you've never done before. You're going to, you're going to be doing something like, Lord, help me. You're going to even pray this. You may be in your garage working on a project. And you're going to say, Lord, help this become an act of worship towards you. Help me use this for your glory or wherever it may be. That you will have a greater awareness of him, that you will worship him in big ways and little, in every area of your life. And along with that, that you will ask him to help you worship him in truth. 
but you won't just sit around waiting for it to get dropped off like a FedEx delivery driver, right? You will make church a continued priority in your life. Now, maybe you already do, but maybe some of you only come once a month and we just hit the right week this week. I don't know. But that you'll make it a priority. That, that you'll, sit up, you'll sit up in a place where you can focus, you can take notes so that you may learn and say, Lord, how can I apply this to, to my life? That, you, that you'll go to Bible studies. That you'll pick up your Bible and you'll read it daily and you don't know where to start. Then you just come find me after church and I'll help you with that. Right? That you will do whatever you can to fill your mind and life with God's word. With what he's worth. And, and, and when you do this, a natural instinct inside of you is going to happen that God placed there. You will start to worship him. And that's my prayer for us this week. That we'll become a church that worships him in spirit and in truth. That we may be reminded that he is our source. That we may be reminded that we want to become like him. And then so ultimately that we can help other people come to worship him as well. Amen, church.